0: Okay, welcome to High Signal. We are a group of founders who are all generating revenue and we meet up and chat every week to help each other with our businesses. But once a month, we're joined by an indie founder and we can ask them loads of questions and find out the like hidden scope on how they're running their business. So this week, we've got Kyle Golly, who runs Gravity, which is a SaaS boilerplate business. Kyle is also just about to launch his course on how to build a SaaS. he's gone the full spectrum from going on the vc route to becoming a self-funded indie hacker so it's really good to hear from someone who's gone from one extreme to the other uh so yeah welcome to high signal kyle thank you for having me yeah no worries thanks a lot for joining us um Start with, I know that like obviously I listened to your indie hackers interview, and I guess to briefly sum it up, you're on the you know, you're doing like a VC funded startup, you kind of got incredibly ill from that, um, and had to go to hospital, and then you kind of to have an epiphany that you know, I guess you kind of wanted to have a much better lifestyle and a lot more healthier and wanted to travel and everything so um i guess to start with like because i've i've never excuse me because i've never raised vc or anything. i don't like what is it briefly that's stressful about having a venture capital backed startup
1: uh there's two things the first thing is it's, it's your job is as a founder is basically chasing after investors and trying to raise uh, money, So trying to balance that with managing the team and the, the actual business stuff like sales and getting customers is incredibly difficult. I also just think the, the economics of the model um, is difficult because, and there's obviously a big story about this on Twitter at the minute with Fast. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of startups, they just exist to raise money. And that's kind of what we were doing as well. So it's like raise money and then to try and raise more money. So the, the business model itself is very stressful because the business can can implode at any moment. Or there's there's always this predefined like point in the future where you're going to run out of money and then you're going to make some difficult decisions. So I find that was quite stressful. And we did reach a point where I had to like let half of the team go. And that's probably why like I don't like managing people now because there's just a tremendous amount of stress um when you realize that you know somebody else's livelihood or their mortgage payments is basically hinged on whether you can raise more money
0: um yeah yeah that's that's like really interesting and i think yeah i think i've seen a lot of founders on twitter talk about this kind of thing of uh as soon as you i guess lots of us are solo founders but as Um, certainly when you get to like a certain level and it doesn't have to even be with venture capital, but if you're employing like hundreds of people that is like a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Um, So how did you first uh, like find out about, you know, Oh, I can do an alternative. I can get into like, you know, indie hacking and I don't have to raise VC.
1: It was kind of a strange sequence of events because I would, at the time I was just so involved in like this, in the, the VC startup world. I didn't know there was anything outside of that. And then I, I got sick and I had my experience in hospital. And then I was in London one day and I bumped into this, this guy, he, he was from, he was from Belfast, but um, he was, he's running a, a big VC funded startup in, in London. And he was just like saying like, well, if you don't really like it, why are you doing it? Like, why don't you just go on a different path? And uh, at the time I was considering like becoming a digital nomad and doing a bit of travel. And he was like, look, just, just do whatever the hell you want. Like forget about um, all these external influences and what you know people are telling you you should do. And then I took his advice and then I went to Chiang Mai for a month. And then really weirdly, I was in this co-working space and this guy sat down beside me and he went to my high school. But he was like... The year I left was the year he he started and I was like, this is so like weird. I said, like, what are you doing? And he goes, I was working for a startup in Belfast and I hated it, so I quit and became a digital nomad. And then I didn't really know much about what a digital nomad was at the time. Like I, I was just kind of in Thailand on holiday and then I learned from him his whole plan to just travel around indefinitely. And then I ended up meeting another guy at a different co-working space who told me about indie hackers. And then I'd showed him like what I I'd showed him, I'd built this little boilerplate for myself. And he was like, dude, like you should uh you should sell that. And I was like, nah, no one I'll buy this. Developers want to build their own stuff. And he was like, no, 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 go on to this website, Indie Hackers. And then I went on there. And then I just that just kind of opened up this whole like alternative world to me.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It's very um, very fortunate that you met someone that got you into like I guess indie hacking and met another person that got you into like the digital nomad scene. Because I guess it, I guess it's kind of weird for me because I'm in that kind of very much in that indie hacker bubble. But I guess, you know, there's so many people that aren't aware of it. Um that like it is an option that you don't need to raise capital. Certainly unless you're wanting to start, you know, the next stripe for Uber or something. It's it's definitely not like a requirement or anything. Um so what can you tell us like how like for people that don't know how is gravity doing in terms of like numbers and stuff like that?
1: Yeah so this month or last month reached $25,000 uh month yes. in revenue. That's
0: awesome. That's fantastic. Um so is it just um like one off payments? People get the boilerplate and that's that's it. So
1: there- there's a one-off payment. The boilerplate is $895. And then there's $195 a year subscription fee uh, to keep getting updates and support for the, for the boilerplate. And then also access to, there's a Slack community uh, as well. It comes as, as part of that. And then that's just renewable every 12 months.
0: Nice one. That's fantastic. Um, what Because you were saying like, you know, oh, like developers like to code, you know, no one's going to buy this. Who like I have curiosity. What's the is there like a typical profile of someone that buys Gravity?
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of developers that still want to build everything themselves. So the way I kind of segment them is there's there's developers, and then there's like business-oriented developers or developers that are building a a business, and those are the people that I target because they're the ones that understand the value of their time. You know, some people will say, "Well, I'll just spend six months." building an off system and doing all this stuff and then there's the other people that are like no i want to spend that six months like building the actual features and and getting the product to to market so those kind of build it yourself people um i i just i don't necessarily target them at all because that's that's their mind it's a kind of hacker news people of Mm -hmm. like why would you pay for anything when you can when you can build it yourself? And I think like it, it's it's finding those like entrepreneurial uh, developers that, that want to save time.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a really important point, and I think yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So someone can like I like on your landing page, it's got something like you know someone along, along the lines of you know save three months of build time, and that's really like for an entrepreneur if you like don't. Yeah, you don't want to be making like spending ages making like a login system when you can just like, you know, buy everything and like have like have just have everything starting from the get go. Uh, so that makes makes sense, and it's really good to like uh, quantify like the benefit of using Gravity. I guess um, what's the? We'll get onto some questions from the community members just in a second, but. One last thing is what's the can you tell us what the deal is with your the course you're making?
1: Yeah. So I the course came out of basically quite a few of my gravity customers have been DMing me on Slack saying you should make a course to show us how to build this. And this is another one of these weird things that I would never have thought that people would have wanted. And I was like, but why do you want it? Like you've already got the boilerplate. Why would you really pay for a course to learn how to build the boilerplate? And like quite a few of them were like, yes, because I want to I wanna learn all this stuff as well as have the boilerplate. So then I was like, okay, like maybe I should like uh, maybe I should float the idea and find it. And actually one of my customers, um, Randall Canna, she had just launched a course by the time I was thinking of this, and she made like $53,000 in the week. And then I was like, okay. And then she was like, you got to do this course. So then I built the, the landing page and then my goal was to get like 50 uh, emails collected to just validate it. And at the minute, it's nearly at 100. Um, so then I'll just, I've just been talking to more and more people about the course and I've realized there's people outside of my Gravity customers that also want to learn how to build a SaaS. And I think that's actually how we got connected on Twitter because mm-hmm. you'd, you'd put out a tweet saying, there's so many like programming courses, but there's nothing on how to like uh, build a SaaS. And then like Randall had sent me a link to it on Slack just as we were having that conversation, and I was like, okay, like I got to give this some more, uh, some more thought. So now that I've got now have got the idea validated, I've started building out the the content for it.
0: Okay, yeah, that's awesome. That's really good to know. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a really sick combination to do the the boilerplate and the course. And I like how it's kind of like uh the I guess it's kind of got that compounding effect where like people will that buy one will probably want to do the other and then it works both ways. So you could get people that want to buy that might buy the course originally and then they're just like, oh well I can buy the boilerplate as well and and vice versa. So it sounds really smart to like, yeah target the same people but in a slightly have another product for them basically so, so i think cool. that might
1: help me like tap into the, the i'll do it myself people um yeah a little more. and then the what if they do the course then i can upsell the boilerplate at a discount and the boilerplate has more functionality than you'll know, learn in the the course so you know if if they'll already have built a lot of the boilerplate, but then I'll give them a heavy discount, then they can just get the additional functionality of the full um boilerplate if they want to upgrade to it.
0: Yeah, nice one. Nice one. Um yeah, and I think as well, yeah, as per my original tweet, it does seem that like a lot of coding tutorials are yeah, I guess it's more skewed towards what you do is. On a job and what you do is like an enterprise engineer maybe and it's less like as far as i can see anyway it's less about okay how how can you make your own SAS? so it's really great that you're kind of like filling that gap um yeah so i'll invite questions now from like high signal members so i'll just call you one by one and first off we've got anna
2: I was wondering, um, you just said that you were targeting uh, solo founders, solopreneurs, people who would love to uh, do everything by themselves. I was wondering, like, why don't you target agencies or maybe you have tried uh, that already because that, in my opinion, would be like potentially theoretically the best type of customers for you because they would be probably able to bring you. Like wholesale to the wholesale is they they would be able to buy in bulk because they ship these products for their customers in their turn, like uh, dozens a month. So why don't you deal with them? Or if you have dealt with them, uh, what 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 went well? Uh, what went wrong? Basically.
1: Um, that's a good point. It is something I'm trying to explore. I have talked to some. The problem is they they have their own internal uh, boilerplates and tools that the more the more established agencies um, do because they've they've already sort of identified this problem and then they have built their own sort of like private version of it that, that they use. Um, but I am trying to find agencies that that don't uh, because you're right. Like I, I can I sell them um, like a bulk license. Um, one one thing I am looking at is like one of my friends was running an accelerator program. So I'm looking at like trying to get the accelerator to buy um, like bulk accelerators to buy bulk licenses for, I guess, like a perk for their for their founders, because um, that will provide a huge value to them in terms of like sh- shortening their, their runway.
2: Okay, Thank
0: you. Uh, can I answer a more? Yeah, sure. Okay,
2: great. So uh, th- that was basically my next one about the accelerators, because I know like many, especially it's very popular with marketing agencies that uh, or gather to startup founders, uh, growth marketers, uh, stuff like that. Uh, they uh, more often, they, they usually do cold outreach to, to market themselves to accelerators or they pitch themselves as mentors uh, or advisors and that way they, they somehow like plant the idea of cooperating with them to multiple startup founders that go through every cohort. Have you thought of that or maybe you've tried that already?
1: No, I haven't, but that, that's a good point.
0: Cool. Thanks a lot for the question, Sana. Val, I think you've got a question. Uh yeah. You know, we- when it comes to burnout
1: and its uh, health effects, you know, um, if you're a bootstrapper, you're not immune to them as well. Like, um, so, what kind of conscious steps do you follow now to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, I, th- I think it, I think it takes a lot of self awareness to figure out like what are the things that, that cause the burnout. So for for me, like a lot of it was like dealing with investors, managing people. So I just tend to stay away from from those kind of things. It it does have it did it did happen to me a little bit um, in November uh, last year. I was just I was just getting this weird headspace, and I just took a week off and a week off Twitter, a week off the, the computer to take a break. And even after that week, it took me like a month or so to uh, to come around Because I think like it, obviously, no matter what kind of business you're running, it's it's an emotional roller coaster. There's highs and lows, and the lows can be quite taxing. Um, so I think it's just, it's just like, first thing is being able to identify when it's happened, and then, and then knowing what to do, uh, to manage it. And that's different for every person. I think generally like the solution is not like throw yourself into it more. It's like go and take a week off, take two weeks off, or, uh, maybe it's like switch onto like another side project or work on that for a few weeks or, or do something different. That's going to try and like break that, uh, Kind of, like, emotional, ro- whatever emotional roller coaster,
0: yeah, good advice. <laughs> Sometimes hard to follow when you're in the thick of it, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> I think it's nice one. Um, yeah, thanks, Val. Um, Camphi, I think you had a similar one, but do you, yeah, do you want to go for your question?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, speaking about the early signs of stress affecting your health what did you miss that now years later you look back in plain hindsight 2020 vision and you're like oh yeah i missed it. it i missed these signs of burnout before or um what red flags uh did you have in yourself that you missed in your business that uh, you missed and in your relationships that you missed then that you're like oh now I, why didn't i see that then there was there was so many because um, at the time it was just this weird like melting pot of all this stuff that was going on. So like I had come out of a relationship, um, there was a lot of negativity with that. Uh, then I was I was sick, so I, I had this pro I had this bacteria living in my stomach that was causing me a lot of pain, and then the stress it doesn't like stress. So like the stress of the running the business was kind of add into this and it, it, I mean it it's it's really strange because like at the time I knew I, I knew like all of this is bad like I'm vomiting every day I'm in a lot of pain this is all very bad um probably the things I wanted aware of was the bit, the business and the journey that I was on I, I just kind of like I kind of like got into it by accident and I was very inexperienced I was like I was quite young and that was the first time I'd started a business so I didn't really have a high degree of self-awareness about uh, what I was doing or how to manage the stress. So I was Stuff like I was managing people. I, and now I know that I don't want to manage people, but at the time I didn't. Um, I think it's one of those things where you can look back with twenty twenty hindsight and go, well, here's all the things I would do differently. But I also had to do all that stuff in order to learn like, okay, I don't like doing this. I don't like doing that. Um, so I wouldn't say that... I would have changed anything i think that it was it's all just part of the journey and helping me figure out what what i do like and what i don't like because i because i wouldn't be in this position now if i hadn't have experienced those things would you yeah. say that like pers- your perseverance like you just try to get through it and that's what caused even more stress um I mean, with, in terms of, with, with, with the illness, like, like every day I was in like a tremendous amount of physical and emotional pain. Um, and I, I had no choice but to like, like persevere through it. And then the harder thing was like, most days I just wanted to like curl up in my bed and just like, and just lie there. But then I was like, like meeting customers and like doing these VC pitches with like trying to hide this like crazy, like internal uh, pain so like I, I definitely learned perseverance by force through that because I, I had no real choice to get out of that, uh, that situation.
0: Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds really tough. So well done. well done, of course, for getting through that all. I think Andy's got a question on getting your first customers.
3: Yeah, so Carl, you've obviously gone from
0: like, it's a hell of a journey,
3: right? From intense pain to now 25K a month. Obviously, that's wonderful inbound you're getting. My question is kind of the zero to one. Like, when you first started pitching something with Gravity, it's quite expensive and obviously requires quite a lot of commitment from the customer to, to use it. How did you get that trust? And was it trust? Was that what made the difference? So, initially,
1: and there's probably another conversation, what I'm about to say is I was charging $99, which in hindsight was a massive mistake probably less trust required initially um a lot of this came about by accident because i mentioned i met that guy and he told me like go on the indie hackers and i i just kind of i just put gravity the first version of gravity on there as an experiment basically just to say this is what i'm working on and then this guy bought it after like a week and then he, he actually emailed me and we had a lot of back and forth and he was like, look, I took a risk on this, but like, you know, just I, I really needed this product to solve this um, problem. So I think like to, to answer the question about how to get first customers, I, I would say probably the best way to do it is kind of like scrappiness like that is like going and trying to find like 10 people that might be interested in your product and try and show it to them and get them to to buy it, rather than trying to like launch some very sophisticated like strategy with ads and lead magnets and all this stuff, just so
3: hold- to to interrupt. I do agree, but it the question is slightly more nuanced in that, um, like so, I just context. I've got a product with um, several thousand customers, so it's not I I can go to them and I can pitch them the product, um, but I'm trying to pitch a productized service at the moment. And they're kind of like, yeah, but you know, you're the product guy. I pay product prices, and so for me, it's like it seems like a question of trust. They don't trust me to like carry that money over. So when you first went on Indie Hackers and pitched Gravity, did you have any sort of credentials that you lent on? Was there a history of contributing to Indie Hackers or anything like that?
1: Uh, no, I mean the only the credentials was the, the business I was building before, which was totally unrelated in a different market. So I was actually quite new to Indie Hackers. Whenever I was doing this, like I did make an effort to to, to just not be the guy spanning my own product. Like I was going in and answering other questions, and I was answering technical questions, and and trying to provide a bit of, of value. Indie Hackers is probably I don't know what it's like now. I've heard it's maybe not as friendly now as it was back then, but you could just be this new person and go on and like kind of like pitch, pitch soft sell your product and people would, would buy it. It was just really, it was really strange to me because you can't do that on other net. You can't do that on Reddit. You can't really do it on Twitter. Um, You need a bit more trust and credibility in order to, to do that. Um, So I I was probably quite lucky in a regard that I was able to do that without um, establishing a huge amount of trust. And I guess the reason I was able to do that is because the, the problem was quite painful. And although there was other solutions on the market, they were in different languages. So I was kind of the first uh, JavaScript one. So people were maybe prepared to take the risk because they they really needed a solution and it didn't exist, or they'd seen solutions in other languages that they couldn't use.
0: That's really cool. Cool. Nice one. I think, Andy, you actually had uh, another question about competing... I a... did. It's it's
3: uh, it's a giant leap, Kyle, from where we just were. Apologise for that. Um, but when you were talking about the VC track at the start, and now you've you've basically seen both sides. Like you become the ultimate indie hacker, but you've also done the VC thing. It's a question of if you've got VC backed players in your space, can you still do the indie thing? Is there a way to compete? You know, if they can outbid you on uh, PPC or whatever it is, um, or do you just get out the space? Like, what's your what's your take?
1: I think it it depends on the market and the product Um, because the mindset of of buyers is is different. So I'm an indie entrepreneur, so I tend to like buying products from other indie um, businesses. I don't particularly like buying products um, or using products from big tech. So, for example, I don't use Google Analytics. I pay for plausible. Um, I don't. I actually pay for a lot of like indie tools that there are big competitors uh, for them. So like Siftin is another one, which is like a social listening tool. Um, I use cat links instead of like a uh, address and stuff. So I think it, it depends on the, it depends on the market and the customer. So in, in tech uh, I think there's definitely, there's definitely like a niche of customers that will purchase the smaller indie products over, yeah. Companies, but it, obviously you still have to create a great product. The product has to provide value in order for that to work. Like I'm not just buying these products because they're indie; I'm buying them because they're good products, and and I'm bought into this story um, about these being these because it's like the whole David and Goliath thing, right? You know, like these like small businesses taking on these big giants like Google, and a lot of people don't like these big businesses. So I think if you can tell like a really compelling story. Um, and just own the fact that you're an indie product, um, then you, you mean it's definitely possible to compete.
3: I hadn't thought of that, but it's, it's, it, you see on the high street as well, right? So I guess you get to Brighton you get in Edinburgh. People like to shop with the little shops because that's part of their identity. So you know if you were like a pure marketer, you'd be like, well, we'll segment this group who sees themselves a certain way, of which you do you know in terms of buying indie. Um yeah. Yeah, so I hadn't thought of it in that lens before, but it does make, yeah, make sense.
0: I think like um I guess personally for me um not a full blown coffee snob but you know part halfway there I'd like much prefer to go to like you know an independent local like place where it's like okay I'm buying coffee from these people which is like also better than the chains but it's also like going back into my community like I know the people that run the coffee shop instead of like, you know, going to like a Starbucks or a Costa where it's just like going to be, you know, leaving my community. So I can see that for happening with indie hackers as well. Um, I think the final question for me is how, how are you, what are your like growth channels? Like how are you reaching people and telling people about gravity?
1: So it's mostly through search. And now Twitter, like I'm investing more time into uh, Twitter, but search is still the primary way that a lot of people will will discover Gravity.
0: Nice one. So, did you is that did you do quite a lot of like blogging and targeting like keywords, like I don't know how to start SAS or SaaS JavaScript boilerplate or something like that.
1: I kind of got, again, I kind of got lucky because of the time I started, there was no other JavaScript SaaS boilerplate. Uh, so I was able to rank uh, first for the those keywords pretty early on. Um, and it's, it's not a very competitive keyword. I know there's a few people that are using that keyword uh, now. So the keywords I use is like JS SAS boilerplate. I really should be blogging more and uh, put more effort into SEO. Uh, I'm kind of putting all my time into Twitter at the moment.
0: Yeah, nice one. Yeah, no, like uh, probably like a bit of both would be good. But yeah, SEO is definitely like uh, a good like long-term strategy. Just to wrap up, where can people find out about like Gravity in your course and your own Twitter and stuff like that?
1: Uh, Yeah, probably best to just follow me on Twitter at Kyle Golly.
0: Awesome, cool. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and where are you going to be? I know that you're a nomad, but you're more kind of based in one place. But where are you? Where are you normally like going to be based this year?
1: Uh, Most of the year, I'm in Shanghái.
0: Okay, cool, awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and get out there sometime because I've heard it's like the kind of uh, mecca for digital nomads. So it'd be good to like experience. Experienced the place firsthand. But, um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on to High Signal and answering all our questions. Uh, it's been really cool to, like, get to know your story a bit better. And, yeah, hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: Cool. No worries.
1: Thank you, everyone. Bye.